Hey church, Pastor Cody here, and I just want to say thank you for stopping by and joining us in worship today. And while we're super excited that you're hanging out with us for this message, we also want to remind you that this is really just um, a supplemental resource that cannot and will not replace the local church. So while um, we're, we're glad that you're here, while we're glad that you're encouraged and, and, and uh, challenged and shaped by the Word of God that's being preached today, we also want to um, let you know that this is really just a substitute and in no way should forsake the uh, gathering together of the local church body. We believe that the local church is God's plan A in speaking the gospel. So please come hang out with us here at rest um, this Sunday morning with us or um, go find another Bible-believing church. Jesus is preparing the church um, that's close to you um, and he's challenged you to get plugged in there. Um, Jesus loves the church and we love Jesus and we believe that we can love Jesus better by being locally connected and serving her well. So um, just jump right in with us and we're glad you're here. Maybe we should add that song into our worship lineup. That's a good response, Pastor Cody. I'm Adam, I'm one of the pastors here and I was trying to think of a way to describe exactly how I felt as we're coming to the end of the road in Psalm 23, and that line from Voice of Men just stuck out to me. Uh, we've come to the end of the road, and, and I just can't let go, right? You feel it in your bones, you know, uh, and, and we'll have to cut that out of YouTube later because YouTube will put us in YouTube timeout, so that's why it's good to be in church in person or online this morning and not after the fact, but just really quick, church, have you enjoyed, have you grown in um, what the Lord has said to you as we walk through the shepherd's path together in Psalm 23. Amen. Amen. You know, in some ways, uh, as in all of Scripture, we hope that this has been a, a word that if you have been afflicted, it's a word that has comforted you. And on the opposite side of that, simultaneously, that if you've been a little too comfortable, that it's been a word that has afflicted you, as in all scripture does. You know, we haven't pointed this out yet as we walk through Psalm 23, and I wanted to point it out when we were in verse number four, but we just didn't have time that day to, to get on it. But I wanted to share something with you that I felt was really important when it comes to Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, there are 57 Hebrew words, 57 Hebrew words, and it's a stack of 28 words that come uh, to this one word, and then it's followed by another 28 words after it. And this one word is actually translated into a whole phrase in English for us. And we find it in verse 4 in the words, You are with me. That's what's at the heart, at the middle, at the center of this psalm that's right smack dab in the middle. And, and I'm sharing that because I want you to see this morning that the Lord Jesus, that He's been at the start and in the middle, and we'll be at the very end of this psalm today. It started out in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And then verse 4, with you are with me. And today we'll wrap up with, as I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and, and God's presence is both literally and literarily surrounding us as we read Psalm 23 together. And, and so it's worth mentioning for us that from the start, uh, to the middle and to the very end of this that it's been about him. And that's why week over week we've laid this out in these he's over me's. 
If you'll remember, it started out in verse 1, that he owns me. Bless you. The Lord is my shepherd. He owns me. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters of rest. Verse, he restores my soul. Verse 3, he restores me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. It's his rod and his staff, they comfort me. And then verse 5, he feeds me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And then today, lastly, verse 6 is that he loves me. He loves me. And, and as we're thinking about the end of Psalm 23, you know, the end, it's, it's, it's two small words only three letters each, but whenever you stack those two words together, they get, they get really, really big because the conclusion, the finale, the end, the finish, it can be powerful, it can be shocking, it can be bittersweet, it can be this hope-filled moment for us. Now we know that through the course of a normal story that the end doesn't always have to be the most important part of the story is the beginning that usually hooks us and pulls us in and in the middle it sort of works like the protein but the end of the story uh, it's just sort of it's just sort of special and I love a good end to a, a good book or a good movie because sometimes what happens is with the end it comes in to define or redefine everything that's come before it and so really there's a lot of pressure for a rider to stick the landing at the end of the finish line. Because if you've got this great story that's drawn everyone in the whole time, and then you kind of crash land at the end, it, it almost robs a little bit of the joy from the flight that you've been on, right? I'm sure you've been there, you're watching a good movie, and, and you're like, man, it took me a while, it took me a while to get into this thing, you know, but it finally hooked me in, and it was just so good. And then, but the end, it just, it just didn't, you know, it didn't hit hit right. It didn't finish well. And, and what I'm getting at, church, is that the end matters. The end matters. And as we kind of just step back for a moment and look at Psalm 23 from this 50,000 foot view before we get on ground level today to conclude verse 6, I think it's helpful for us to remember that the psalmist, as he's been writing, what he's been doing is he's been recapping the entire year of the life of a sheep with his shepherd alongside of him. That's what he has in mind as he's writing all of this out. And the shepherd, he's taken us with him from home camp where he's the owner. Where he carefully supplied all of our needs. He's led us out to green pastures. Besides still waters of rest up through the mountain by way of the valley. He's been with us in the shadow of death. His death was lurking around the corner. He sat with us and served us at his table while enemies were there. He feeds me at his picnic. And in this final outpouring of trust and confidence, it's this shepherd who's effectively led me through this journey. He's the one that's been guiding me. He's the one, his voice has been compelling everything that the sheep does. And finally, we come back home to dwell with God. 
And it's verse 5 there where the enemies, they're, they're not gone, by the way, but what they have done is they've faded from view because now the view is entirely taken up with the shepherd. And it's that in view today that we'll talk about that I believe is the final intended impression given from Psalm 23 that we're supposed to hang on to this morning because everything else in this psalm has been connective tissue so far building up to this end. And we'll find out together today that he loves me. He loves me. Tell your neighbor a little kick. He loves me. And church, it's the love of God that changes everything. So let's begin toward this end with verse 6. Looking at verse 6, it says, Surely, say surely. Surely. Say it like you mean it. Surely. Surely Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This has got to be one of the most sweetest phrases in this psalm. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to read from a couple other translations of, of what this is. Just allocate a little space for that. So, Check this out. This is the NEB. It says, goodness and love unfailing, these will follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life. The TEV says, I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life. And your house will be my home as long as I live. The message goes, your beauty and love chase after me. Every day of my life, I'm back home in the house of Yahweh for the rest of my life. Lastly, the NASB, it puts it, certainly goodness and faithfulness follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. This word from this psalm, it's been a roadmap for us, and in in knowing how we can go from giving up, how do we keep from giving in, where to go for provision, for protection, and, and how we battle this doubt and fear and uncertainty and anxiety or worry that the enemy sets at our, our table. And we're left remembering today, church, that all of this is made possible because we have a God who follows us. And ultimately, he follows us because he loves us. And here's what I want you to know as you look at your scripture this morning. Notice the first word mentioned in this last line, surely. Surely we didn't miss the Surely. Right there. We've said it 74 times, John. Surely. But notice in the surely what the writer doesn't say. He didn't say maybe goodness and mercy are going to follow me. He doesn't say possibly it's going to come along eventually. He doesn't even go, I've got a real strong hunch this morning that goodness and mercy are headed my way. No, no. He says surely these things are coming after me. And I was trying to think of a picture to describe surely. And I thought of the second best shooter of all time, Steph Curry. Do you know who Steph Curry is? You can pull that out. He's the second best because Ray Allen's the first. But uh, Steph Curry, what he'll do sometimes when he's playing in an NBA game is that he'll shoot a shot and turn his back before the ball even drops. And it's this uh, idea of confidence that he's, you know, he's been there before. He knows what it looks like. He knows it's going to go in. He just knows it in his knower that it's going to drop in there. He's been there before. And you and I, we can be confident In a similar way because the source of our surely, he's been there before. And he's constant. And I think the writer of Psalm 23 would have loved what James later had to say about our constant God. He said in James 1, with whom there's not the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. God, our God, he doesn't doesn't change. In fact, if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to circle that word, surely, in there. 
Because what you can do is you can look at this word surely and you can point it back to any other point in this psalm and it still makes sense. The Lord is my shepherd, surely. He leads me by still waters, surely. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with me, surely. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. Help me out, church. Surely. Surely. Our taste buds change. Our circumstances shift. Our, our moods are really, really flexible. But God remains the same. And it's this, uh, in, it, this hidden exclamation that gives out this implicit confidence in the one that controls the career and the destiny of the sheep that are there along with them. Yet how many of us believers, how many of us actually feel that way and that confidence in Christ? How many of us, how many of us truly believe that no matter what shows up on our path, we can say surely God is here too? Because the, when my health's great, when my income is flourishing and my perfect family with 2.1 children and a dog are doing well and my friends are really fond of me, then yeah, it's easy there to say, yeah, surely God's here. Surely He is following me in this place. But what about whenever your body breaks down? What about when you're like me and you've got 94-year-old knees, Josh? <laughs> and your joints are are aching at you, then can you say the same thing when you stand by helpless as a partner or a close friend dies? What's your reaction when your job folds up or your bills aren't paid or your kids aren't getting their grades in school? Surely, there will be times where your surely is tested. So you need to hide this word in your heart and the confidence in the care of the good shepherd. Now, in the scriptures, there, there are dynamic duos that show up all over the place. Uh, we have dynamic duos in our life, too. Uh, coffee and creamer. Uh, ketchup and eggs. <laughs> Don't knock it till you try it. Uh, and in the scripture, we see the same, same thing with God's goodness and his mercy. Verse 6 says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. These are two attributes of God. And the psalmist is using personification here. And personification, by the way, is just whenever you assign human-like attributes or emotions or actions to inanimate objects or animals or ideas. And here it's applied to God's mercy and that he's following us. And it's, it's connected in this way to help us understand what God's goodness and mercy is on a practical level. So could anybody use some more of that this morning? Some more of God's goodness and more of God's mercy? Yeah, it's like, man, give me a second. Give me a third helping of these things. So let's start with God's goodness. The idea of God's goodness or his functional faithfulness, it comes from this Hebrew word tov, which sounds like stove without the S. It's spelled T-O-B. Tov. This is God's functional faithfulness. It's his goodness. And so we need to remember, though, whenever it comes to Hebrew words, a lot of times they're named uh, or, 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 or given descriptions by name that are typically related to their functionality, how they actually work in the world. So it's, it may be better translated here as God's functional goodness. And, and I'm not going to trail off the path very long here, I promise you, but I do want you to understand what the writer is saying when he's talking about God's goodness. So since we're talking about the end of Psalm 23, let's go back for just a second to the very beginning with creation. In Genesis chapter 1, and you know the story, in the beginning God created everything. He creates the light, he separates the waters from the land, he makes plants that bear fruit, he creates animals, he creates insects. And, and does anyone remember what God said after what God 
Saul. Do you remember what he said after what he saw? He said, this is good. He said, this is Tov. And it's this beautiful progression, even if you just think about the plants in the story. Because what happens is God speaks to these seeds that he's embedded into creation. And all of a sudden, these seeds spring forth life. And these, they grow into trees that lead into more life for other plants to come about. And so if you and I, if we had a, a bag of seeds in our pocket, and we sprinkled it out on the ground, and it doesn't turn into a tree, then there's no tove there. But if you and I have some seeds in our pocket, and we sprinkle them on the ground, and then it grows into a tree that grows into other trees that grows into other trees, that's God's functional goodness. There's tove there. And this Hebrew word for tove, for goodness, it's not just giving vibes of, of pleasurable or pleasant, but what it means is capable. It, it, it means presently engaged in the process exactly as it was built for. And so tov, it's not like a good pizza, it's not like a good book or, or a good movie. It means that something is fulfilling the exact divine purpose for which it was made. That's what's following you. God's tov, his functional goodness. And it shows up in your life. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. And you need to receive this today, that God looks in on your life with just such a special goodness and tenderness because he loves you. And even if you fast forward to later on in Genesis 131, uh, it says, and God saw everything he made, and then he makes man, and, and he says something different after he makes man. He says, behold, this was very good. This is exceedingly tov. And you and I, we can't even understand the full weight of the love of God. It's revealed in glimpses all our life. And look, I get this wrong way more than I get it right. But this week I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, Adam, don't just talk about Tov, be about Tov. Don't just talk about Tov, be about, about Tov. And so I stopped doing this to go play with my boys. So church, don't just talk about God's Tov. Don't just hear about it today and go, that's a really nice thought. It makes me feel warm. But be an extension. Fulfill the divine purpose he's created you to do. And praise God that his Tov is following us. Amen. Now, the second half of this dynamic duo that's following us on the shepherd's path is God's mercy. Look at the verse. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy will follow us. And the Hebrew word that's given to us as mercy in this verse, it's hesed. Say hesed. And it's a really difficult word to accurately define. A theologian, John Oswalt, says hesed is a completely undeserved kindness. And generosity. It's a type of kindness that's compared in the Old Testament to the, as a counterpart to the New Testament's agape. It's mercy, it's compassion, it's love, it's grace, it's kindness. And, but instead of getting hung up on what it can mean, I want to tell you what it, what it does. And in the words of the 70s uh, rock group Boston, it's more than a feeling. It's more than a feeling. Hesed is an action, or actually it's a series of actions that help define relationship. And so the real action point for Hesed is that it intervenes on behalf of a loved one in a time of desperate need. It comes from this root word Asad, which means to bend down, to bow down. And the idea here with Hesed is that God reaches down from heaven to put his hand on you, to put his hand on me. And in this sense, when we think about it, in this area, it's really a, a condescending sort of mercy that God gives, that the God of the universe would humble himself and come to you and me and reach down to us because we can't reach up to him. We're finite, we're frail, we're sinners. But in his mercy, he reaches down 
to save us. Now, what's interesting about mercy is that, generally speaking, if you wrong somebody, you do them wrong, you typically have to go after them to ask them to give you mercy, right? Well, in God's economy, it works a little different in that flow. God says to us, hey, you've wronged me, but guess what? My mercy is going to follow you. Because God, God says it's not about what you've done or can do, it's about what I've done, about what I'm, what I'm doing. And church, that's what's chasing you. It's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not regret, it's not your past running after you, it's God's mercy. And there's a song that you probably know by Corey Asbury, it's called Reckless Love, and don't get too hung up on the word reckless there. We sing sovereign love sometimes here. But I want you to, I want you to listen to the lyrics of this song for just a second. And think of Hesed. Let it, let it point you to Hesed. Listen to this. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless, or sovereign love of God. It chases me down. Fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. So you give yourself away. The overwhelming never-ending love of God. That church is Hesed. And Michael Card, another songwriter and author, he lays out Hesed like this. He says, When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And Jesus, of course, is the perfect embodiment of this. As we see Him come to earth, He pours Himself out for everyone, especially those who don't deserve it. And, and yet, Hesed is not limited just to God, but people, we can express Hesed also. And that's the real challenge with mercy, I think. If, you cha- if, you, if you're challenged by mercy in your life, then you're right there with me. But I think the real challenge of mercy is that whatever understanding we have of Hesed in our hand, heads, that we ask God the Holy Spirit to move it down into our hearts so that ultimately it comes to life through our hands. Hesed is always action-oriented. It always involves movement. Hesed is whenever a wife prays for her husband for years that, that doesn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. That's Hesed. Hesed is whenever a dad gets up in the middle of the night again to go bail out his son, his drug-addicted son, from jail. Hesed is whenever parents lovingly care for their child that has disabilities every day of their life. Life. Hesed is not just an emotion or a feeling, but it always involves movement based on someone who's in desperate need. And I need you to know that God loves his kids, man. And because he loves you, you can expect this love to follow you. That's what the text says. Surely Tovin has said, shall follow me. And again, this word follow here, uh, Carl, it's a little soft in the English. Follows a little soft there because what's been featured on this screen of Psalm 23 that we've said from, from God's uh, functional goodness and his steadfast mercy in my life. Well, they're not just tagging along behind you like a puppy dog does. No, no, these, these are in hot pursuit of you. These are the two sheepdogs that are guarding the rear of God's flock. And it's like, man, this is so good, but for how long? Like, like how long will God's love actually pursue me is it a is it a month-to-month kind of kind of contract well no it says there we're told goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life that means for length of days that means every day of my life through all my days to my last day and this is the timeline of God's continual pursuit of you and it's just like 
Jesus, if we could just learn to, to pursue you like you pursue us, if we could just learn to pursue our spouse how you pursue us, uh, pursue our children and, and, and pursue our community and your people, what it might change, Jesus. Church, this is a wonderful pursuit. And by the way, that's how your Christian life started. It was a pursuit. It was God running after you as you were running away from him. Because not one is righteous, no not one, Romans tells us. And what's so amazing is that even after God has caught us, he holds on to us and he never lets go and never stops pursuing. And remember, this is personification. This isn't just two inanimate objects that are chasing you. No, no, this is God himself who is full of goodness, who is full of steadfast mercy, who is running after you in your life. F.B. Meyer wrote to this once. He said, it's goodness to supply every want, mercy to forgive every sin, goodness to provide, and mercy to pardon. See, it's not just God's goodness only that's following you in your life because we're sinners and we need some mercy, man. But it's not also just God's mercy that's following you in your life, but it's God's goodness because we're fragile and finite and we need the active love of God in our life. We need his functional goodness to help us work it out. It's a both and. It's a both and chasing you in your life. And, and, and you're just not as excited as you should be on this. Michael, maybe we need to hand out some ammonia sticks or some smelling salts. Uh, before we uh, read, receive this word from God, right? This is echoes of Psalm 139, right? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the light become night around me and the darkness will hide me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb and I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know your works are wonderful. I know it firsthand. Church, you can never outlast or outrun the love of God. That's the picture. And so just for a moment, I want you to think about the days. The days that are in front of you. What do those days look like? Maybe it's days at home with toddlers. And if so, God will be there with you as you serve the applesauce. Maybe it's, it's days in a dead-end job. If so, God will walk beside you. Maybe it's days of loneliness and you need to be reminded, God's not going anywhere. Of Him alone, it can be said, He won't say goodbye. He will take your hand. He will be your comforter because He loves you. And surely goodness and mercy will follow you. And what happens is that when you receive this truth in your life, no matter what you're facing in the days ahead, you can face it because you know who's following you. You know who's coming after you. And church, this is the essence of everything that's come before in this psalm. All of God's care all of his work, all of his watchfulness, all of his concern for his sheep, all of the self-sacrifice is coming from a place of love. The shepherd king loves his sheep. And so to the final word of the final verse, to the end of this psalm for David, it says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell, if you haven't noticed this morning, it means to sit. It means to rest. It means to abide. And, and we got a really good glimpse of dwell last week with Pastor Cody at the table. 
where the Lord Jesus comes and he serves us. Just think about that for a minute. Well, here we take it a little further, a step further. And the picture now is that we're not just here for a moment, but our bags are unpacked. And we've moved in to stay as Jesus serves us. And we are making our home in his house. And, and, you know, to live in somebody's house, it's a really personal thing to dwell with them. It's a personal thing to be invited into somebody's home. Because I don't know about you, but ain't everybody coming into my home. Right? And so what this is from Jesus is it's an invite into intimacy with him. An eternal intimacy. This isn't just God's office. It's not just the front porch. It's not just some transactional business deal where you come and you go, you selfie at the table and then bounce. No, no, no. This is you move in. You move in to stay. Theologian N.T. Wright, he put in his book, Simple Christian, like this. He said, people who follow Jesus are individually and corporately places where heaven meets earth. So I don't know if you caught this or not, but you and I, if you're in Christ... You, you are the place where God dwells as you dwell in Him and will dwell in Him forever. And honestly, there's not much more joyful for a sheep in their life than for them to get back home to the shepherd's house after this trip. And, and yes, the metaphor for us is that home is a place, but it's even more so connected to a person. I remember sitting at the table with my grandmother, and she would ask my grandfather all the time this question, where's heaven? And his answer would always frustrate her back, because he would always say back, well, it's wherever God is. It's wherever God is. That's heaven. That's home. And, and this is just such incredible news that one day we will be brought in to dwell with him eternally and this is what the shepherd promises for the sheep that are in his flock listen to this revelation 7 they won't hunger anymore or thirst the sun won't strike them or scorching heat for the lamb that's in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd he will guide them to springs of living water and wipe away every tear from their eyes church long before your first whimper came about your master he claimed you and he named you And he set out all the days of your life and he hung a reserve sign on your door in his home. And if his house is our forever house, let me just ask you, what does that make our earthly house? Right, it's short-term housing, right? Philippians 3.20 says our our homeland is is in heaven. You have this eternal address that's been fixed into your mind. Ecclesiastes says that that he has set eternity into the heart of men because you know, just deep down, you know that you're not home yet. Like that this isn't home. And so why in the world would you and I treat it like it is? Because you never see anybody that gets on a Greyhound or a charter bus. You don't see them hang up pictures of their family, right? That would be silly. Cody, you never see anybody pack a, a commercial a king-size bed on their commercial flight, right? Why? Because it's temporary. It's not the forever home. And sometimes the greatest calamity in our lives, church, isn't that we feel far from home when we are, but sometimes the greatest tragedy for a believer is when we feel right at home when we're not. And so I share that just to encourage you to not quench, but stir that longing that you have for home. It says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Once we move into God's home, there's no eviction with him. It's once indwelling, always indwelling. And you know, there there are these books that we read and there are these movies that have these characters that we can so relate to. 
you think of uh, Odysseus or the Flying Dutchman or Nemo or Dorothy or E.T. And just like them, we all just want to get home. We long for the place and the presence where everything is constant. Where God wipes away every tear, where everyone has a friend, where love never ends, where everything finally works out for good. And perhaps that longing for the shepherd to lead us home is partly because everything seems to go so wrong here on this planet. Because we know that there, nothing's going to go missing. We know that there, in the presence of God, nothing's going to be lost. Heaven, it's God's answer to Murphy's Law. And the truth is that here in this life, for you and for me, that not all of our hurts can be healed here. There are some hurts that we will grab that can only be healed by the cure of heaven. And while it is true that we are delivered from our shame and our guilt and fear by God's love here, which is substantial improvement from where we started, we also know it's not complete healing. And so you and I, the scriptures say that we've been born with broken hearts. And in some sense, we carry that brokenness with us as backpacks all the days of our life. So until that day when Jesus returns or, or, or we go home, until that day is called to today, what we are supposed to do is dwell in him and we live our life looking forward to the shepherd of our soul. And so I want to bring along as many as I possibly can. Rest Church, that's our job, to make heaven crowded. That We want to make it really hard to get to hell from this place. And it all is driven from this place of love because he first Love me. As you think back of Psalm 23, man, what an incredible journey we've been on. As the sheep started out with the shepherd and then they were led through this whole way in his care. And and now they're back home again, now at the house of God and they finally found rest. Matthew 11, 28. It talks about this rest. I want to share this verse with you. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary And carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. I don't know if you ever asked this before, but rest from what exactly? Rest from what? Well, it's rest from the burden of a really small God. Why? Because now I've found Yahweh, the Lord. It's rest from doing things my way because it's the Lord who's my shepherd, verse 1. It's rest from endless wants because now I shall not want. It's rest from weariness because he makes me lie down. And when I lie down with him, there is peace there. I'm not, I'm not gathering up broken pieces anymore or living in those. I'm walking in the peace of Jesus as he leads me by waters of rest. It's rest from worry and from hopelessness because he's the one that restores my soul. It's rest in direction as he leads me in these paths toward his righteousness. It's rest from arrogance because it's all about him and his name's sake. It's rest from the valley of death because he walks with me through the night. 
It's rest from the shadow of grief because he guides me as my constant companion. It's rest from loneliness, church, because he's with me. It's rest from fear because his presence comforts me. It's rest from shame because he's prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's rest from rejection because he's anointed my head with oil and welcomed me in. It's rest from envy because the cup I hold overflows. I, I, I'm fully satisfied in him now. It's rest from doubt because he follows me and he pursues me. And lastly, it's rest from insecurity because I know surely, surely he loves me. And because he loves me, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we bow our heads this morning, and it's not a magical thing, it's just a, a way for us to say, Jesus, what have, you, what have you said to me today? I just want to ask you this question, church. When the final credits of your life start to roll, and that last song starts to be played, what sort of story will be told? What will the end have to say? Because the end matters. How you finish matters. And so for the believers this morning, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Are you fulfilling the divine purpose of God for your life? The purpose for which He has made you? And, and the way you can answer that is just to look back at the breadcrumbs in life that you've left behind you. Are, the, are there the breadcrumbs of God's tobe, of, of His hesed in your life, of His goodness and His mercy? Like, just think about when you walk into a room or walk out of a room. Does the room light up or does it cringe? And, and I think it, it can be helpful for us just to ask some, some questions about when I leave, what, leave behind, do I leave behind forgiveness? Do I leave behind bitterness? Do I leave behind contentment or do I leave behind conflict? Do I leave behind flowers of joy or do I leave behind frustration? Are people reminded in my life of God's goodness and of His mercy? And so just bring that to him right now, even now. He has new mercy for you every morning. And then secondarily for you, believer, today, no matter where you're at in life, I want to remind you, God is there at the start. And he's there in the middle right now. And he'll be there with you at the end. And so would you just, would you just talk to him in this moment and say, God, thank you for Psalm 23. And just tell him thank you for whatever he said to you through the course of the past six weeks. you're here today and you know the psalm but if you're real honest you don't know the shepherd in the New Testament Jesus said these words he said I'm the good shepherd and then he talked about his sheep and how his sheep know his name and how they follow him they know his voice and then he made this really confusing statement and he said, I'm the door of the sheepfold. And in ancient times, whenever a sheep would be brought out to the countryside, typically what would happen is that they would build these little sheep uh, pens out in the pasture. 
And it was these low-laying kind of walls that were closed in on every side except for one side. And there would be this narrow sort of opening in the front. So there was no door. And if you were to walk by this picture, you would, you would think, well, man, these sheep, they're not very safe because there's no door. But what the shepherd said is, I'm the door. And so what the shepherd would do is he would lay down at night, he would dwell in front of the opening of the sheep pen so that no sheep could get out and so that no predator could get in. And so if you wanted access to the sheep, you had to go through the shepherd. And in John chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. And this morning, I need you to know, if you're in here, that the only way for you to enter into the family of God, to enter into the flock of God, is that you enter through the good shepherd who is Christ. The one who was the lamb that was led to slaughter on the cross for your sin. The one who rose in victory three days later and is coming back to get his own. God is offering you his love. He is offering you his mercy this morning. And, and so look, all of these things that we've said the past six weeks about this psalm, about he is the shepherd. That will never be true of your life if you don't let him be your shepherd. And the way that you do that is that it takes, it takes access from the shepherd, it takes his clearance, his invitation, and then you have to, out of your own admonition, out of your own will, confess him as the shepherd. Your end, it matters. And I just wonder this morning, for the, those of us who are in this place or watching with, with church online today, will you be found at the end inside or outside of the flock of God? 